1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They take care of our air conditioning. They'll do a great job for you. Just visit the website and give them a call. Johnson'sAirConditioning.com Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net We have terrific guests for today's show, including... William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. Lots to talk about with regard to the infrastructure saga. We'll visit with Michael Cannon, Director of Health Studies at the uh, Cato Institute. Jack Wirt is the Executive Director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Big news in terms of increase of uh, travel and uh Uh, visitation here on the Paradise Coast. And then uh, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, will be joining us as well. It is May the 21st and on this day in 1881 in Washington, D.C., humanitarians Clara Barton and Adolphus Solomons founded the American National Red Cross, an organization established to provide humanitarian aid to victims of war and natural disasters in congruence with the uh, International Red Cross. Barton was born in Massachusetts in 1821, worked with the sick and wounded during the American Civil War, became known as the Angel of the Battlefield for her tireless dedication. In 1865, President Abraham Lincoln commissioned her to s- search for lost prisoners of war, and with the extensive records she had compiled during the war, she succeeded in uh, identifying thousands of Union dead at the Andersonville Prisoner of War camp. Andersonville, what a... Uh, reminding me of the awful treatment of those prisoners. She was in uh, Europe in 1870 when the Franco-Prussian War broke out, and she went behind the German lines to work on international red cr- with uh, the International Red Cross. In 1873, she returned to the United States, and four years later she organized an American branch of the International Red Cross. The American Red Cross received its first U.S. federal charter in 1900. She headed the organization into her 80s and died in 1912. So we're visited by angels on occasion. It's nice to see people dedicated to the good works, uh, and uh, certainly she made a difference here in the United States and around the world. Israel and Hamas uh, group that uh, rules Gaza implemented a ceasefire early Friday to end a 11-day conflict sparking wide celebrations in Palestinian cities. Israel's security cabinet unanimously voted to approve an Egyptian proposal So Egypt Egypt, uh, brokered this for unconditional bilateral truce. Uh, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said in the text message, the ceasefire took effect at 2 a.m. this morning, and fighting that devastated large swaths of the Palestinian enclave and sowed chaos in Israel While the Israeli military dealt a body blow to Hamas's military infrastructure, the group's armed confrontation with Israel has scored its points domestically where it is seen as a more effectual fighter against Israel than the rival Palestinian Authority, based in the West Bank and headed by President Mahmoud Abbas. The fighting also gave Hamas bragging rights to have the United Palestinians in Gaza, the West Bank and Israel in their struggle for statehood. After 16 years in power, Abbas has brought the Palestinians no closer to that goal, and in May, he called off legislative elections in which Hamas stood to gain, if not win, polls forecasted. <clears throat> so, uh, we have a, a piece. Uh, interestingly enough, though, nothing has been resolved, so you can only imagine that this is going to break out again. In other words, there's no substantive uh, settlement on issues between the Palestinian Authority and uh, the Israeli government. There will be continued violence, I'm quite certain. Well, Representative Byron Donalds, our own uh, congressman, uh, is in the news. He's vying to fill the seat on the House Financial Services Committee, left open by Representative Steve Stivers, a Republican from Ohio, who resigned this month to become the CEO of the Ohio Chamber of Commerce, Uh, chaired by Maxine Waters. The committee's responsibilities include overseeing banking, insurance, international finance, housing, and securities, Doesn't that send chills up and down your spine that Maxine Waters is heading all that up for the, for the house of representatives. Donald's office contends Waters has been having her way on the committee and it's time to have a fighter on the committee with real world experience. He's an outspoken freshman. Of course, you see him all the time on a lot of news outlets, including Mark Levin's show and so many others. He represents us well. And, uh, He's uh, news about his 17-year career in finance and banking. He said his experience makes him a prime candidate for the committee, the vacant seat of which will likely be filled at, soon by the GOP Steering Committee. Other top names floated include Pete Sessions from Texas and Dan Muser from Pennsylvania. Uh, Sessions, who previously chaired the House Rules Committee for several years, has been in Congress for more than two decades. And when asked to confirm he would uh, indeed seeking to fill the Financial services seat, he said, Congressman Sessions fully expects his seniority and 22 years of history in Congress to be honored in his committee assignments. Wouldn't that be a shame? Just tenure would somehow make a difference? Muser, was uh, joined Congress in 2019, currently sits on the Small Business and Foreign Affairs Committee and previously served as Secretary of Revenue in Pennsylvania. Uh, While a decision about the open seat looms, Donald told Breitbart News that he's making the rounds. In an effort to win over his colleagues, when asked about other contenders, he said, I'm not really focused too much on anything else. I'm just trying to make my case and see how it shakes out with the uh, steering committee. Byron Donald's just so proud of what he's doing now in Congress. He's making a difference on Capitol Hill. I think it'd be great if he actually got on the committee. And if the Democrats uh, ended up taking over in 2022, he could actually end up the chairman of the committee. Certainly in far better hands than with uh, Maxine Waters, as you can imagine. Well, pressure is still mounting on Kamala Harris to visit. Did I say her name correctly? I don't care. To visit the uh, southern border in her capacity addressing the migration crisis as a Republican representative introduces a bill Thursday that will restrict the vice president's travel until she goes to U.S.-Mexico border. Uh, representative Ashley Hinson of Iowa is putting forward the See the Crisis Act on Thursday before the House uh, recesses. I don't know if she did it or not. Of course, that was yesterday. Which proposes banning Harris from taxpayer-funded travel as she still refuses to visit the border to address the growing issues, especially involving children. She uh, is putting forward the See the Crisis Act. Well, we have an absolute crisis on the border, and Vice President Harris was appointed to lead the administration's efforts but it's been 56 days, and in that time, she hasn't been on the border once, she said. She hasn't held a news conference on the uh, administration's efforts for the plan, and I think it's time she does that. wonder what's going on with Kamala Harris. She doesn't die, uh, she makes no public appearances. Every once in a while, I think of that just playing her wretched laugh on the show as a way to end a segment. But uh, nevertheless, uh, what a mess. Well, a few months back, several countries and uh, counties, I should say, in far-left Oregon began an effort to secede from the state and become part of Idaho. Now they voted for it. It's not a done deal yet, but they're off to a strong start. Voters in several counties all approved measures that would require county officials to take steps to promote moving the Idaho border west to incorporate their populations. Uh, They were joined by two rural counties, Jefferson and Union, whose voters approved measures promoting a move to Idaho last year. Local measures are backed by Oregon's Border for uh, Greater Idaho, a local organization that wants to grow Idaho West and South in some counties in Northern California. The election proves that the rural Oregon wants out of Oregon. If Oregon really believes in liberal values such as self-determination, the legislature won't hold the counties captive against our will, said Mike McCarter, a conservative activist who heads up the group. If we're allowed to vote for which government officials we want, we should be allowed to vote for which government we want as well. The government of Oregon has ignored these people for years, and who can blame them for wanting to leave? I mean, I certainly understand that. This same battle, by the way, goes on in uh, western Maryland, a conservative area that doesn't want to be part of the progressive state of Maryland. They would like to join... uh, Uh, West Virginia, I believe. But uh, this kind of a a dichotomy exists across the country, quite frankly. And uh, I think the people of Oregon ought to be able to join Idaho, where uh, it's a great state. Idaho is a wonderful place. Well, on on his first day in office, Joe Biden killed off 42,100 jobs by ending construction on the Keystone Pipeline and the end of construction of the Trump border wall. But on Tuesday, Joe Biden gave Vladimir Putin. A kiss and wave sanctions on uh, Russia's gas line pipeline in Germany. That way Western Europe will be able to be more reliable on Putin's Russia and U.S. energy companies lose more business with our allies in Western Europe. You think Joe Biden knows what he's doing? I have serious questions about that. But he certainly is cozying after all these accusations of Russia, Russia, Russia against Trump. Looks to me like Joe Biden's really cozying up to, to Vladimir Putin. We'll see. Well, the House Republican uh, campaign arm, the National Republican Congressional Committee, brought in more than $11.2 million for its best off year April fundraising effort. So it looks like people are starting to vote with their pocketbooks. That's good. And, uh, they certainly outraised the Democrat Party. We've got a lot of work to do, folks. Uh, there's uh, These people are, the, Repo- the Democrats are tearing up the country. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples longest established air conditioning company visit johnsonsairconditioning.com also by life in naples magazine be in the know and stay up to date by reading life in naples the website is life coming up william yateman research fellow at the cato institute that and more right here in the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network
0: stay tuned for more of the bob harden show here on the Bob Harden
1: Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly staff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch,
0: back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob
1: Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you, Bart by Choice Social. It's a new, refreshing social networking uh, platform. I hope you'll check it out. Choicesocial.us is the website. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Michael Cannon. He is the uh, Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Right now we have with us William Yatman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. William, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure, William. Uh, tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: Oh, You bet. Uh, we're a think tank here in Washington, D.C., dedicated to the ideals of advancing a free society at every level of government.
1: Cato.org is the website. Terrific organization. I hope you check out the website, Cato.org. So, uh, we we want to maybe get an update on the continuing saga of the infrastructure program that's been proposed, and apparently there's some negotiations going on. What are your thoughts? Well, the situation remains fluid, um, sort of like, like uh, prior Fridays,
2: as we've discussed. Um, this week, Senate uh, Republicans met twice, or they met on Tuesday um, with President Biden, and they're meeting with White House officials again today. Um the White House has described these as productive conversation. Um, it's uh, but nevertheless, reportedly, they're still far apart. Um, the Senate Republicans are still around six hundred billion dollars in their offer and, and the Biden administration is still around four trillion and um, they still are far apart on even the definition of infrastructure mm-hmm. with Biden again sort of uh, subsuming everything out of the sun. Under the rubric of infrastructure and the GOP insisting on a more traditional uh, ideal, uh, that of roads, bridges, and the like, um, one other wrinkle was introduced this week when the House Republicans, the Republicans in the House of Representatives, introduced their own infrastructure hmm. proposal of 400 billion dollars. Um, so, where it's going to go from here is is really anyone's guess. Hmm. They've uh, the Senate Republicans have floated Memorial Day as sort of a, a, an informal deadline by which either a, a deal will be reached or will not be reached. Um, and if a deal is not reached, then it's likely that Congressional Democrats would uh, proceed unilaterally with that uh, parliamentary mechanism we've spoken about before budget reconciliation that allows them to avoid the Senate filibuster. Um, I'll note, I'll point your listeners to an excellent op-ed in today's, or I'm sorry, editorial in today's Wall Street Journal that makes a very common sense point, which is Congress over the last year has spent about five and a half trillion dollars, of which hundreds of billions of dollars, uh, even more than a trillion, have remained unspent. And and many of these monies were actually um, uh, made available to infrastructure-type projects. So, I agree, I second what the Wall Street Journal wrote this morning when they said, wait a second, everybody, let's just find out how much money is already out there unspent mm-hmm. um, before we start talking about spending hundreds of billions or even trillions more.
1: Yeah, did that make a lot of sense? It seems to me that, uh, I, although I wonder, uh, $4 trillion versus $600 million, uh if, if in fact this is uh, perhaps a, uh, just posturing and preening in order to make it look look like a bilateral or by uh, bilateral effort. But I'm quite quite certain this is going to end up being kind of a Democrat program, being trying to be pushed through by the Democrats uh, in the House. I, I'm not sure they can pass it, though, in the Senate.
2: Well, yeah, if they try to go it alone, um, that's actually a great point. So uh, West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, mm-hmm. a Democratic senator, but albeit in the state that Trump carried by 20 points in 2020, um he's been pretty adamant that he's not open to the, this budget reconciliation process in the Senate to push through unilaterally a big infrastructure bill so the the politics even within the democratic caucus mm-hmm. um are are there's nothing certain there as well
1: yeah joe manchin's now becoming the most powerful man <laughs> in, in congress <laughs> and and uh, about senema as well i think she's uh, balking against uh, this this as well
2: Indeed, she has, um, albeit uh, with less of the limelight than, say, Manchin Mm -hmm. has enjoyed. But no, you're exactly right. Hmm.
1: So uh, I guess Pelosi says she wants to wrap up the bill by July the 4th?
2: Yes, indeed. So uh, that was sort of in line with that Memorial Day informal deadline that the Senate Republicans have been talking about. Um, You know, there's Congress only, uh, Congress is only in session for about half the time, yeah. um, and, and I say that only uh, insofar as there aren't a great number of working days left by which Congress can kind of uh, get its act together to pass or, uh, you know a $4 trillion or multi-trillion dollar bill. Um, so it's a curious deadline. I mean, given how fluid the situation is now, um, it certainly suggests there's going to be some rushed lawmaking and lack of deliberation over the next couple months.
1: Yeah. So uh, the Supreme Court has taken up some important cases on guns and abortion. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on that.
2: Indeed. So it's uh, this past uh, week, the Supreme Court has taken two blockbuster cases for next term, and, and the next Supreme Court term is going to run from October to June 2022. Um, in Dobbs v. Jackson Women's uh, Health Organization, the court is going to uh, review... Uh, Uh, a Mississippi state law that would effectively uh, uh, prohibit abortions after 15 weeks um, of gestation. That's a big deal, and uh, as well, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association, the Coralette um, in essence is going to probe the extent to which states can regulate um, the carrying of guns outside the home. So these are—it uh, should be obvious to your listeners—two uh, tremendous cases with respect to our ongoing, I guess, culture wars, if you will. Um, and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a fool's errand to prognosticate how the Supreme Court is going to come out. Um, but it is interesting—they're—they're they're taking on such, uh, I guess, front and center issues, um, especially given the Roberts Court's uh, reputation for. Uh, uh, Trying not to wade into such highly politicized matters.
1: Yeah, uh, just my opinion. I just don't think the Constitution really has the 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 uh, uh, the the judicial uh, branch of the, of the uh, federal government doesn't have the the authority to weigh in on the abortion. But uh, that's just my opinion.
2: It's a sticky wicket. I've spoken about this before in your show. Um, you know, there was. It, the it's a divisive matter inherently of course, and I recognize that, and it was working its way through a political resolution state by state um and one wonders how much divisiveness the Supreme Court incurred in roe v Wade by federal by effectively federalizing the issue
1: so finally I, before I let you go, I do want to get your comments on uh Trump is now uh, his uh company is facing criminal charges apparently from the uh uh, New York uh, City and state uh, uh, district attorneys. Uh, I, I read a book called a "Conviction Machine" by uh, Sidney Powell. It's really well written. And Harvey Silverglate, uh, standing up to federal prosecutorial abuse. And if you see these videos of the past comments they've had about Trump, I mean, they, that's basically uh, we want Trump. We're going to get him somehow. We're going to get Trump. This is this stuff is it's just so it's so un. Well, justice is not blind in this case.
2: You know, uh, so I am not not a fan of um, former President Trump. I'm not a fan, really, of any president. I'm a, a pox on both parties sort of guy. Yeah. Um, but I think, regardless of one's political affiliation, it should be troubling when the state so nakedly takes on a political prosecution. Um, you know, this is a joint DA and Attorney General investigation into the Trump Organization's tax preparation. Yeah. I mean, that is pretty thin soup. Um, I'll note this: I read this morning, looked it up. Uh, the New York crime index is up thirty yeah. percent over the last year,
3: yeah. and
2: one wonders whether or not this is a wise use of that state's uh, prosecutorial resources.
1: Well said. I mean, that just goes to show the uh, the uh, Priorities are just way out of whack. Again, uh, William Yatman, a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Cato.org is the website. William, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, Michael Cannon. He is the uh, health, director of health studies at the Cato Institute. What's more important than uh, you know our our health insurance and uh Good health. Well, uh, he's an expert on it. We'll talk to him, that and more, right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your host Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse. You heard the commercial building, a new performing arts center in downtown Naples, and I hope you'll find out more by visiting gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Jack Wirt, Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors, Visitor Bureau. Right now we have with us Michael Cannon. Michael Cannon is Director of Health Studies at the Cato Institute. Michael, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me, Bob. Great to be back.
1: Thank you, Michael. I understand you testified at a subcommittee uh, in the Senate this week.
4: That is correct. The Senate Judiciary Committee held a hearing on hospital consolidations. Uh, 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 There are so many mergers of hospital systems and hospitals and physician practices that the market for hospital services is becoming so concentrated that hospitals are able to jack up their prices even more. Yeah. And the Senate's very concerned about that, and a lot of the folks in, uh, on the committee thought the government needs new powers in order to stop these hospital consolidations. My message to them was pretty simple. You don't need any new powers. Uh, the government just needs to stop encouraging those consolidations, those mergers, uh, in the myriad ways that it already encourages them.
1: That is so interesting. Yeah, I mean, One of the things I've observed is what we're seeing a lot of uh, doctors and practices, medical practice, go, uh, go to work for hospitals. And I, it just makes me wonder what the financial pressures might be for that kind of uh, initiative.
4: It's not so much that they're pressures, it's incentives that the government is creating. Mm. You know, the Medicare program pays hospitals more to provide the same service than they pay a doctor. So it's... It has happened where a patient has been going to a physician practice to get a particular service, going there over and over. But then the hospital acquires that physician practice. The patient keeps going to the same office, getting the same service, but Medicare ends up paying hundreds of dollars of hundreds of dollars more for the, <laughs> that service than just because that physician practice is now owned by a hospital. This is ridiculous. This yeah. is. This is government setting prices and setting prices poorly, and it creates incentives for these sorts of mergers and consolidation that end up jacking up prices not just for taxpayers in the Medicare program, but it also gives those hospital systems the market power to increase prices for private payers. You know, I'm so, so I'm so, we're ple- getting overcharged both
1: ways. Then. Yeah, I'm so pleased that you clarified that for me because it's so interesting. In fact, I went to see. I got my. Uh, uh, I had back surgery uh, three months back, and now I'm now going to physical therapy. So I got the Medicare statements about uh, what this stuff costs. I don't pay anything, of course, but I noticed that the uh, the uh, cost for uh, meet visiting the physical therapist was two hundred dollars for a forty minute session, and they're charging they're charging the public something uh, like uh, uh, a sm- a percentage of that if you go and pay with your own money.
4: That's right the uh, and, and it's hard to tell what the actual price is because you have to add what the patient pays and what the health insurance plan or Medicare pays yeah but in all instances what it appears that what is happening when the government encourages these consolidations is that that uh, total price goes up and it's not just these government controlled prices in Medicare uh, that, that that are often excessive. And drive consolidation it's also just regulation generally yeah. you know regulation any form of government regulation is going to have high high fixed costs but then a low marginal cost which means once you comply with the regulations uh it's it's expensive but it doesn't get more expensive as you grow yeah and so regulation generally favors big Firms over smaller firms, mm-hmm. which encourages consolidation because if you merge, then you can spread up those regulatory costs even more. Uh, there are particular healthcare regulations that uh, encourage consolidation. There's some in Obamacare, there's some at the state level. Uh, but also, just the way the government encourages excessive insurance through Obamacare's mandated coverage and through the tax code that encourages employers to offer more comprehensive coverage than consumers would choose on their own, all of these things end up driving uh, creating huge incentives for healthcare providers to merge and consolidate so that they can jack up prices on the rest of
1: Unbelievable! It's a it, it's and again uh, probably small hospitals can't survive in, in an environment where there's more and more regulations. And they they don't have the finances and that and the, and the and the power, the financial power. It, it, just taking a step back, is it bad that hospitals are consolidating?
4: Not necessarily. So uh, when you can cons- when you integrate the delivery of healthcare so that the doctors and the uh, the surgical centers and the hospitals and the, uh, all, the, all the healthcare clinicians and facilities are working for the same entity,
5: mm-hmm. they
4: can coordinate your care better than you can if you have to uh, take all of your prescriptions and lab results and films from one doctor to the next and do all that coordination yourself. So I'm actually a fan of certain kinds of consolidation, but what the economics literature shows is that the consolidation we're seeing right now is not that kind. They are all joining together, but they're not coordinating the care they're providing to us. And it's not reducing the cost of care. It is increasing prices, increasing healthcare spending. uh, And uh, and it's one of the, the, the big drivers of, the excessive levels of inefficient health spending we see in the
1: United States. Yeah, so, so Michael, uh, you are uh, an authority, needless to say, speaking in front of the uh, uh, Senate Committee on, on health care. First of all, how was your testimony received, number one, and number two, where is this, where is this all going?
4: So I thought it was received fairly well because uh, I didn't get too many hospital questions Uh uh, and I didn't really criticize the chairman's bill. What the chairman of the committee wanted is to expand the government's powers to uh, use antitrust enforcement against hospitals that have too much market power. Uh And I think that, you know, my message was that that is not as effective as competition, so, what government should be doing is eliminating the barriers to entry into those markets and the incentives to consolidate once uh, competitors are in those markets. And uh, I gave them some ideas about how to do so, and one of them is a pretty simple one. Uh, although it's a state-level reform, about three dozen states require uh, uh, people who want to compete in the healthcare market to get a to get permission from the government before they can compete and try to bid down prices. But, you know, who lobbies the government against letting them in? Well, all of the incumbent hospitals right? who think, you know, we don't need a new hospital, we're just fine, and often that blocks entry. So, so uh, there, there was some receptiveness to those ideas, but uh, we'll have to see just how – if anyone's willing to carry the ball
1: on Yeah, well, of course, all, all of this is dealing with symptoms, not the real disease. And uh, the real disease, of course, is the government that plays such an important role in our health care and, and our insurance. Somehow, some way, if if you could get your way, we'd have a more competitive process. Where prices would drop like a rock and uh, health care would be more affordable.
4: And providers would howl. Okay, remember, if you want to make health care more efficient, reduce the prices. Make it more accessible. That means that some healthcare providers are going to make less money. Yeah, that'll be painful for them in the short term, but uh, absolutely necessary for the same reason it was necessary for people to lose farming jobs to yeah. uh, farm equipment. Well, let because- me just ch- let
1: me just challenge that because uh, you know uh, they make li- make less money per patient. But you know what? They may have more volume because people are more willing to participate in the healthcare system. Right now, I think a lot of people just absolutely avoid uh, healthcare because of the high deductibles and the costs involved.
4: I think that uh, that some of what you're describing will happen. Yeah, there will be there could be greater volume. Uh, We can't be sure because a lot of the volume that we're seeing right now is wasteful. And so, if we eliminate wasteful spending, yeah. Someone's revenues are going to go down if You eliminate excessive prices. Someone's revenues are going to go down. And most of the resistance that you see to, to, uh, real healthcare reform. Yeah. Doesn't come from the ideologues, uh, who think that government sh- should control the healthcare sector. Uh, they're certainly there, but most of the resistance is, at least in terms of the dollars spent resisting real reform, comes from the healthcare industry.
1: He isn't because that every
4: dollar of wasteful healthcare spending, every dollar of excessive health care prices, is a dollar of revenue to somebody. And that somebody has a lobbyist who will fight to protect
1: it. Now, oh, Michael, I'm so pleased that you've come on the show to clarify some of these issues. I really appreciate your commentary here. I Again, mean, cato.org is the website, c-a-t-o.org. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. Anytime, Bob. Take care. Okay. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Jack Wirt. He's the executive director of the Naples, Marco Island, Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Hardin Broadcasting
5: Network.
1: Listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience each advertising package includes a banner on bobharden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence and many others who advertise on the show call me at 598-3889 that's 598-3889 or send an email to bobharden at hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget, you'll be pleasant surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-389 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. Just one of the programs is uh, creating, uh, getting uh, able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. Kind of going against the tide of the administration, Biden administration. But getting great work done. I hope you check out the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep, Right now we have with us Jack Wirt, Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention and Visitors Bureau. Jack, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Good morning. Good morning, Jack. Hey, I wanted to have you on the show because I saw the headlines on the Naples Daily News that visitation is up in the Paradise Coast. I just want to get your comments. What are your thoughts?
5: Well, we're certainly very pleased to to see the the demand for travel Um, getting up and running, but most importantly, the, that demand to Southwest Florida. We, we've just been really uh, blessed to have a lot of visitors uh, come back, begin to really spend money in all of our businesses again here in Collier County, um, and, and so that it's just helping everybody to, to get that activity back, well, approaching really where we were in 2019, hmm. which is uh Really good. That was a record year for us. And if we can get back to those numbers, I think we're going
1: to be fine carrying us through the summer months as well. So uh, uh, how much does the uh, airport, Fort Myers Airport, uh, the uh, regional airport have to do with uh, visitation here?
5: Well, the, traditionally, we will get about 50% overall for the year of our visitors uh, arriving by air. It, it certainly is seasonal in the, the winter months when it's cold up north. We normally see a lot of folks uh, flying south uh, from our feeder markets in New York, New Jersey, Boston, Philadelphia, uh, Chicago, uh, Milwaukee, places like that, that, uh, that we really have traditionally gotten visitation. And, of course, a lot of that dried up a year ago when the air travel virtually stopped. and mm-hmm. um, We even got to a point at, at RSW that uh, we had uh, seen that uh, Delta ter- uh, Terminal actually closed for a while. Wow. So um, what we're seeing now, well, first of all, we saw a lot of people, when they started to travel again we're all coming by car and it was very much regional mm-hmm. but i will tell you in the last month or two we've really seen an increase in air travel to the point where uh fort myers international airport rsw as we call it um was up 1200 percent over a year ago wow and i uh, got actually got a, a uh, an award for the fastest growing airport airport in uh, north america so Boy, is that grateful to, to see for all of our businesses uh, throughout the county.
1: Yeah, you know, a couple of years ago, we were talking about the fact that flights were opening up from uh, places that we normally didn't have visitation for South America and for places in Europe, so forth, have, uh, direct flights coming into RSW. I was wondering, though, if perhaps we actually lost some of those uh, destinations uh, because of the uh, pandemic.
5: Well, yeah, there certainly were a lot that that stopped running, but it's been interesting to see uh, United, for instance, added a number of of new direct flights uh, into Fort Myers. We saw Alaska Airlines start direct service for the very first time from the West Coast, from both Seattle and uh, Los Angeles. Uh, Those were seasonal flights, and they aren't running right now, but they promised us they're going to start again here in the fall, because they did get uh, really good uh, uh passenger numbers on, on those flights I, I what what has stopped and not returned has been those international flights from like germany that we have had for over 30 years uh, uh those flights from uh, uh, dusseldorf uh, germany into fort myers uh, they they stopped because uh, obviously there was no travel from, from hmm. europe yeah we are hearing that those flights are going to start again uh uh, next summer uh we're we're, we were hoping for this summer but it looks like actually they'll start in march of next year so we'll start getting those european visitors back they'll find other ways to get here though uh because there is uh, and we'll quickly as the air service opens up flights into orlando and to miami and we'll get some of that visitation yeah. the Germans love our area that's for sure
1: Well, that's that's a great report jack just wondering about uh, how about uh, convention business Is that I would imagine it has dropped off significantly
5: yeah it really did um, the the direct uh, impact was that early on right after uh, mid-march last year we saw a lot of uh, cancellations but also postponements which was kind of good news in a way that Uh, Meeting planners were saying, look, this is going to be short-lived. We'll just move our meeting uh, maybe to later in the summer. That became one of those creeping delays like we see in airports Mm -hmm. uh, where it just gets later and later and later. And uh, those meetings pretty much moved into this year and, and have now been pushed further probably into the third quarter of this year. We'll start seeing a number of those meetings come back. That's really important business for, for our uh, group meeting hotels. and it represents about 30% of our visitations. Yeah Take that plus 20% coming from uh, national that's where the significant drops happen
1: yeah and just to take a step back i mean this this visitation this business is so important to the health of our economy down here so uh... it's it's just really an important topic final question is uh... right now the ritz is going under reconstruction uh... they're going to put up an extra tower and they you know they got rid of the pool and so forth i would imagine that's going to hurt visitation a little bit
5: yes it will and uh... it's been interesting over the past few years uh... Uh, the, the the Ritz Group has really invested a lot in the, the beach property. Uh, they actually just finished up uh, a major renovation at the golf resort just a couple of miles away. And um, so they're reopening as the beach club is, is uh, or the, the uh, Ritz uh, Beach Resort is closing for that uh, major renovation. Oh, yeah. They're going to be able to move a number of those uh loyal Ritz customers to the golf resort that that'll certainly help some. Um, and although certainly we'll see some, some dips in, in uh, not only occupancy and visitation to those, pro- that property, uh, but um, it, you know, that's uh, that, that some will be absorbed and, and we'll get a little better. Uh, it, it's things like that. Plus the, the now the closing this uh, the actual week of the, the Naples Beach uh, uh, Golf Club uh, permanently. That's that's certainly a blow, but I think we've got the capacity uh, to absorb an awful lot of that. And I think uh, our other hotels will absorb at least that that leisure business, uh, group business that they did have. I know we'll go to some of the other hotels. So yeah. I, I think we've got the capacity, and, and it won't be the major blow that that we might think it could be. Revenue is certainly one thing because the Ritz Carlton obviously has uh, the highest rates uh, in in our area. And that definitely will will miss some of that uh, revenue, but it'll only be temporary because right. uh, the Ritz will be back and, and they'll they'll reopen as they can. I'm right. sure.
1: And the beach hotel is going to be beautiful when that's re- renovated as well. Oh my, that 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 really, Bob. That's going to truly uh, uh,
5: make us a, a luxury destination with two Ritz Carltons on the north end. J.W. Marriott on, on Marco Island. And, uh, um, you know, another luxury property here. Uh, they're talking about the Four Seasons being kind of in the middle of everything. Absolutely, so that's just great news for our community.
1: It is. Jack Ward again, Executive Director of the Naples Marco Island Everglades Convention Visitors Bureau. I really appreciate this update, Jack. Thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Bob. Uh, best to everyone. All and right. Thank you as well. Thank you. Coming up, Dave Vigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Door Stuff. We're going to visit with Dave and that and more right here in The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of The Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Welcome back to the
0: Bob Harden Show, and now here's your host, Bob Harden.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. We have with us Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our, at Our Doorstep. I'm sure it's a book he wished he didn't have to write, but uh, he was assaulted uh, by SEIU bosses, trying to get him to sign a neutrality agreement. He refused to do it. And uh, the consequence is they played dirty tricks on him, on his family, on his customers. Uh, they used the Federal uh, National Labor Relations Board, all <laughs> the clergy, <laughs> the kids. It was unbelievable. It's a great read. You can't make this stuff up. I hope you take a look at the book, The Devil at Our Doorstep, and the website, thedevilatourdoorstep.com. Dave, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Always a pleasure. So I uh, just want to get any updates you have about what's going on with unions.
3: Well, the big thing right now is with Biden's um, uh, bill, you know, restructuring bill that he's trying to, or infrastructure bill he's trying to put through, um, you know, the, uh, the PRO Act is included in that. But uh, even a lot of Democrats uh, in the Senate, three or four of them, are saying that uh, they can't pass that because it doesn't, qualified for budget reconciliation uh doesn't have anything to do with um, you know infrastructure and cost and stuff like that mm-hmm. and uh so the unions are really kind of uh not very happy and and Biden's not doing anything to um um push him to keep it in there that and
1: uh so t- tell they, tell our listeners what the pro act is
3: well the pro act basically uh gives the unions um total control of unionization and, Bob, it really goes back to what the SCIU did against us in our book, uh, in my book, right? So they wanted us to sign a neutrality agreement that would take away the secret ballot election and go to card check. And that's what this is all about. Ah. They want to go to card check so they can force unionize people overnight and, uh, and not go through the secret ballot election process. And they can control this thing because the unions are really, uh, quite honestly, um, even during the Biden administration they haven't really gone up any and um the um the fact is even during the Obama administration union uh, members were down to about 10.6% and uh they're continuing to drop and so they're really pushing Biden but um there's uh, there's people that think that uh, Biden won't um uh try and push the pro act uh Ah. and get it passed outside of the infrastructure bill.
1: Hey, you know, I, I like your comments on this. I'm observing that there's almost a revolt against school boards, masking of kids, all kinds of things. I mean, literally... Uh, I saw one in Phoenix. I think it was where the the parents were literally screaming at the uh, they they lost total control of the meeting. I think this is going on all over the United States. Makes me wonder about the strength of the uh, teachers union and what's going to happen there. I'm, I'm I'm beginning to wonder if if perhaps, perhaps this might start splashing on the power of the uh, teachers unions.
3: Well, it, it is, and people are tired of it. And uh, like I say, the unions continue to lose. Um um membership across the country and um the um uh, what they're doing the things they're doing people are- fi- are waking up to and they don't they don't like it yeah. and uh, they know it's not good for their kids so I think it's great
1: I do too indeed hey I understand that you have a story about uh, or some information about uh, Joe biden and his golf game
3: yeah I got this um I had to share it with you because I know you're a golfer and um you have a lot of golfers down in Florida.
2: Yeah, indeed.
3: <laughs> and uh, of course, I'm a golfer too. But uh, I, I'll just I'll read this to you. It says President Biden has recently appointed a golf star, and major rule changes in the game of golf will become effective September tw- September first, two thousand twenty one. This is only a preview. Preview as uh, the complete rule book, um, which they say expect two thousand pages is being rewritten as we speak. <laughs> Here are a few of the changes. Golfers with handicaps below 10 will have their green fees increased by 35%. Yeah. Between 11 and 18, we'll see no increase in green fees. Above 18, we'll get a $20 check each time they play.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's yeah, I, I've seen this thing before. It was it was circulating during the uh, Obama administration too. But you know what it points out? It points out that golf is such a pure uh, game. In other words, the, the politics don't get involved in it at all. The, the uh, honor system: people tell the truth. And they they're re- re- responsible for reporting their uh, violations of rules, whatever it might be. Yep. It's just I mean it's so refreshing as compared to what you see with professional basketball, baseball. Uh, you know, in other sports where the politics have gotten involved in this, this whole thing. And uh, what you see now is uh, people are starting to show up for golf matches and unmasked and so forth. But uh, people are kind of rejecting professional basketball and uh, baseball and other sports as well.
3: Well, that's right. The more people are playing golf. But I got to tell you a few other things on here. That, okay. I that think You'll get a kick out of them. Um, the second thing they have is the term gimme, you know, yeah. like a give me putt or something, uh, will be changed to entitlement and will be used as follows. Handicaps from 10, no entitlements. Handicaps from 11, 17, entitlements for uh, putter length putts. Handicaps above 18, if your ball's on the green, no need to putt, just pick it up.
1: It's good. <laughs> <laughs> I play with a couple of guys like that. <laughs> That's good stuff, Dave. Yeah.
3: yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of that. And, uh it doesn't surprise me that something comes out like this from this administration, and uh, it's uh, – but uh, – you know, By, I, the, wh- I, I, by I, the, the way, they, the last thing i got to tell you, there's a bunch more, but um, – and um, they – so the, these new rules will eliminate the discriminatory word handicap and replace it with CTMPD, Circumstances That Make Progress Difficult. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's, that's great stuff. By the way, it gives me an occasion to, to announce that uh, yesterday I went to see my doctor after back surgery, and uh, I, I was pretty well, you know, from the previous messages, I thought maybe I'd be put off until August. Well, he gave me full clearance on all physical activity yesterday, so I'm so pleased. In fact, after the show today, I plan to go out and uh, take a few swings with the golf club and uh, see if I great. can't get back in shape.
3: Well, great. Well, I'm glad I talked to you about golf today. Dave. Yeah,
1: me too, Dave. So, any other good scoop with regard to union activity?
3: No, it's just uh, the unions are really pushing hard uh, because they've they've fallen and, um, you know, the number of people they have and uh, our members they have and uh, they're going to do everything they can. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you know, I, I was going to tell you that they, they're um, threatening the Biden administration if they don't pass the PRO Act and... Uh, they're also asking asking him to pass some other acts, um, and of course they want right to work uh,
1: Got, yeah, want all to get rid across of that. the
3: country yeah. wiped out. And if they don't do it, he, that um, their support for him and uh, the Democratic Party in uh, 2022 is going to go way down.
1: Well, and not only that, but the pipeline—they cut cut that off. Those are union jobs. I mean, to me. <laughs> Uh, he's just really, a, I think he's he's offending in so many ways. Uh, many of his constituents, including the union. So, Dave, you know, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Again, I want to point out you know, the name of your book is The Devil at Our Doorstep. dot com. It's a great read. Or right, that's the website, The Devil at Our Doorstep dot com is a website and the book The Devil at Our Doorstep is the is a great read. Dave always well, pe- pre-
3: people should read it because they'll understand what's going on in this country today with
1: the left and the the unions. Absolutely, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us here on the show. All right, thanks, Bob. Uh uh-huh. All right. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm looking forward to a Monday show and a visit with uh, Mark Schulman. You may recall last Monday uh, we he is in Tel Aviv. And uh, literally, uh, there are all kinds of things going on, That and he gave us a report on what's happening with regard to uh, the war that's going over there. Uh, that's now, uh, a ceasefire is in place, but I don't th- think it's going to last very long. So Mark Schulman is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. He'll be joining us, as well as Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. And Jim McTagg, former Washington Bureau Chief Uh, For Barron's, Barron's Washington Bureau Chief, as well as author of a couple of great murder mysteries, uh, Follow the Leader and its sequel, Shake the Money Tree. I hope you make it a great day and weekend on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to The Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.